Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Guilty Grainy. I am your imperfect host, Kate Bagby, climate content creator and sustainability storyteller. This week, we're diving into a subject which may be not so surprising if you've been a longtime listener of Guilty Grainy, has a lot of nuance and maybe even a little drama. To help walk us through the topic of zero waste, I am joined by Katherine Kellogg, the brains, the voice, and the face of the popular blogs, guides, and videos of Going Zero Waste. Catherine, welcome to Guilty Greeny. Thank you so much for having me. We were just talking a little bit before we started recording this episode, and Catherine and I, our paths crossed years ago. It has to be maybe six, seven years ago, I want to say. Yeah, I started blogging in 2015, so yeah, about seven years. Yeah, and I was 24. 14. It's almost coming up on 10 years now, which seems, you know, the industry, <laughs> it's changed so much. It's changed so much. <laughs> I think when I first started out on the fashion side and back in 2014, 13, 14, that time frame, the word sustainable fashion still wasn't really on anybody's radar. And now I think it was it, you might know this better than me. Was it two years ago? the word sustainability topped Google searches for the first time ever. I don't remember that. I remember, I think it was like plastics in like 2019. I remember a lot of it happened before COVID. Yeah. It was really interesting to see just in the last two years how it's changed, but also how the industry has changed since 2014. But I've always been a massive admirer of your work because your blog, Going Zero Waste, is just a wealth of knowledge for anybody who is new to minimal waste living, 
also known as zero waste or low impact, but also individuals who have been in this space for a long time, such as myself. How did you get into that space? Not blogging, but you personally. Was this something you grew up with? Was it something you were introduced to later in life? How did you end up here? I really appreciate that. I try really hard to make sure that my platform is something that's accessible for a lot of people. And I think part of the reason why maybe my website might be appealing is because I did not grow up with sustainability. I'm from Arkansas, which is not really the most progressive in terms of sustainability. <laughs> Arkansas is not really known for being a sustainability hotspot. We didn't even have recycling until I was in college. Oh, wow. So it was things that I didn't grow up with. It was things I didn't know about. So for me, I very much approached this as, oh, wow, look, this is so fun. I'm learning new things. And I think that's a pretty accessible approach where it wasn't me telling people necessarily what to do, but more of I'm discovering and I'm learning and people can learn with me. So I was a full-time professional actor and uh, that means I was like really broke. <laughs> and so I started making a lot of these changes out of financial necessity. And what I realized was the swaps I was making to save money weren't only better for me and my wallet, better for my health. They were also better for the planet. Mm. I think that's an interesting perspective because we don't often hear people say they come at it from a selfish perspective, which there's nothing wrong with being selfish, whether it's saving money or doing things that just make you happy. I do feel like there's a narrative where it's climate first, climate first, climate first. And we often forget the kind of personal relationship that we as individuals have with our lifestyle, our stuff. And I think it's so smart to tackle it from that selfish perspective because it really hits home with individuals. And as someone whose family, uh, we don't necessarily see eye to eye on a lot of political issues or a lot of other things. One of the things we do see eye to eye on are those more selfish reasons, right? Better health, saving money. And so that's what I found is a really nice way to get people involved because at the end of the day, I mean, most, most people care. Most people want clean air. They want clean water. They want to save money. They want healthy choices for their family. So how can we bridge that gap and how can we all come together and how can we work towards those common goals? And I find that putting forward those more selfish reasons are a really great way to get more people actively engaged. Yeah. Let's talk about terminology then, because I have found that in similar situations, when I'm talking to individuals who find certain words like climate change or sustainability very charged, and as you mentioned, like our political landscape, it has become very polarizing, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so I've often find myself just leaving out those charged words and talking about those common issues, like you mentioned, clean air, clean water. But I want to talk about zero waste, minimal living, low impact. Walk us through kind of the terminology and your approach to it. So I actually start out a lot of my speaking gigs just defining the term zero waste <laughs> and talking about the history of the term, because I think that's fascinating. I love history. I'm a nerd. It's great. So like, where did the term zero waste come from? So we first heard about it in the 1970s because a guy named Paul Palmer out in California opened up a business called Zero Waste Services. And his whole thing was taking chemicals that other companies didn't need and then selling them to people who did need them. The whole idea was just wasting less. And you know, as of today, you can still get your business zero waste certified. And what that typically means is there's different levels. So it's a 70% diversion from landfill, 80% and 90%. Mm, okay. But no one has 100%. So I know that it's very confusing because zero is such a, it's such a number, right? <laughs> yeah. 
And people look at that and they say, well, I could never do zero. Neither can anyone else. So it can be a polarizing number. And from the perspective of making it really catchy, Mm. it works. But then in practice, it doesn't. We all have to realize that we will never achieve zero. It's just a goal. That brings up something which within practicing minimal waste living, zero waste living, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but this kind of pressure, I felt like this when I want to say like was halfway where I am now. So about five years ago, I felt like this pressure for perfectionism within the space. So you need to, you know, bring your reusable water bottle, but also that water bottle should be made from recycled material and should be recyclable again. And also you should watch where your coffee's coming from. Did it involve child labor? And okay, I have something I don't know how to sew. I need to learn how to sew. For me, I felt this need to be perfect in this space. Do you ever feel like that? Yeah, all the time, especially because I'm someone who is very publicly out there, right? And so the thing is, I'm not as good as a lot of people think I am. And I try to remind them and say, I'm not perfect, but it's so easy to build someone that you see up in your mind, especially on a public platform. And whenever you cross a line that people think that shouldn't be crossed, you've morally offended them. Just to give an example, I use a microwave. I get so much hate for using a microwave. Really? (laughs) Yes. And it's just all these things. And I drink almond milk and I get a lot of hate for drinking almond milk. I eat avocado. Like I get a lot of hate for that. It's just, there's so many things. People have their own interpretation of what is sustainable. And because I'm out there publicly saying, I want to live a more sustainable life, but if I don't live up to basically all of these individual people's expectations of what that means, yeah, it's very interesting. My own philosophy is I just try and look at the much larger picture and I understand that I'm not perfect. I'm not living in a perfect world. I'm just doing my best. And it's also about minimization of harm. And so almond milk compared to cow milk still is minimization of harm. Eating one avocado a month, that's minimization of harm, right? It's all the small ways that we can like add up and just minimize because we're never going to be able to achieve the absolute penultimate of perfection. Yeah. It's progress, not perfection. Yeah. Yeah, I've been subject to that as well. The one story that always sticks out to me is because I'm very vocal on human rights as well as climate change. I mean, the two go hand in hand, but there's a long day out working on the farm, harvesting vegetables, pruning tomato plants, the whole deal, and really tired, really sore, came in, drew a bath and thought, you know what, Mm. I'll take an Instagram story, you Mm. know, of what I put in my bath and So I'm like, oh, we use honey from our farm, which is soothing for your skin. I put in fresh cut roses from my garden because I like the smell of them. And then there was two other things that I put in there. And my messages just went off and people were saying, do you know that that's linked to this human rights violation? And do you know? It was salt. It was a type of salt. And I got very, very overwhelmed. I finally came to it for myself and wrote back to them. I said, thank you for raising this to my attention. I can't cover everything. This is an important topic. I think you should talk about it. We can't do it all. It's also weird living in a world where you have to justify every single one of your choices to sometimes thousands of people. And on the internet, it doesn't really necessarily provide a productive conversation. And people often 
often assume your worst intent rather than realizing that you're just a flawed human and you're just doing your best. It makes me often wonder, uh, many of the times when people ask these types of questions, as you said, what are you doing to spread the message? How are you representing and reflecting this in your own life? Because I'm sure there's probably areas where I'm doing less than a lot of other people. And there's areas where I'm doing more than a lot of other people. And so why can't we approach that with a better balance? And I think it also highlights that what you just mentioned there is that you're approaching it from one perspective. I'm approaching it from another perspective your family, friends, whatever. Everybody's coming at this from different angles, different viewpoints. We actually need that because one person can't do it all. I want someone else to be an expert on this corner of it. And I need someone else to be an expert on this corner and we can all come together. To bring it to an individual level, you and I have seen public facing what that kind of perfectionism looks like. When someone is starting out on their zero waste journey, once they start talking about it with friends and family, that someone might say, well, you know, almond milk, yada, yada, yada. Do you think that might create stumbling blocks for someone who's just starting out? And how would they handle that? It's a good question. I think there definitely is a lot of reflection or deflection whenever you first try anything where people really want to push back because often what you're doing is you're kind of saying, oh, I want to do this differently. And you're questioning the status quo and people don't always like that. I remember when I first started talking about how I was using single use plastics in my life and my stepmother at the time came in and pointed out all of the plastic items in my home. Like that's plastic. That's plastic. It's like, like, yes, but the idea of it. And so I think definitely be a little bit prepared to have some pushback, Mm. but also once again, what is the main goal of what you're trying to achieve? And if it is something such as saving money, something that's better for your health, or maybe you are just trying to reduce plastic or you're trying to reduce waste. And if you can frame it in a certain way, and therefore your main goal isn't hindered by that. So if you're like, oh, I'm just trying to minimize the harm I'm doing on the planet, or I'm just trying to uplift my communities, or I'm trying to work with my local farmers or find other ways and other things that goals that you're trying to achieve that make that a lot more accessible. So that way those stumbling blocks aren't as big of a deal. If you can find what you're trying to achieve. So I'm trying to support my community. How are you supporting your community and say, oh, it's not about being perfect. It's just, I'm trying to help. And I know that this area is a way that I can do that. One of the narratives I hear, and there's a lot of back and forth on it, is individual action doesn't matter, right? So we know that 100 companies are responsible for like 71% of global greenhouse emissions. And I think it's been that way since the 80s. You'll hear things like that, or you'll hear only 9% of plastic is actually being recycled. So why does it matter? What does it matter if I cut down? I'm just an individual. When people approach you with that question. How do you respond to that? How do you handle that? Yeah, I think it's a good point. And I do think that it is something that can help kind of relieve that pressure. But just because it's a hundred companies producing so many of the emissions, does that mean that I throw my entire value system out the window? Mm. Does that mean I no longer care? For me, the answer is no. I mean, I still want to try and minimize my impact. And the fact is, is it does all add up as cheesy as it sounds it does and how I personally look at my actions is it's not about being perfect but it's about creating demand in the market and I think we have seen so many changes happen I mean from 2015 to now we've seen (laughs) 
so much change. And so much of that has been driven by consumers who want better. And we've just seen one of the biggest climate bills pass in the infrastructure bill. A lot of that came about from people asking for those things. We have to have a multifaceted approach. We do the things in our lives to send signals. We email our politicians. We let businesses know that we want things changed. And then we just keep pushing and just keep going and just keep doing the best we can. And so you were just saying a lot of change in in the industry. I've definitely seen it going into a Target, for instance, in 2013. I don't ever remember seeing menstrual underwear on the shelves. I don't remember seeing toilet paper made from recycled paper. I don't remember seeing toothpaste and aluminum. So much has changed in the landscape. The other thing that I think one of the things that also feels maybe like a bit of pressure is this narrative to shop small, which there's Mm -hmm. so much value because, as you mentioned, it supports your local community. But we do also need to address access. And not Mm -hmm. everybody has access to, let's say, bulk grains. Mm -hmm. I certainly don't. I'm in Massachusetts. I could choose okay, I'm going to drive 30 minutes to get pasta, and then I'm going to drive 30 minutes to get laundry soap, and then I'm going to drive 30 minutes to get my spices. And at the end of the day, I think, is driving my car that distance better than just going to a Target and getting everything I need? I guess what I'm getting at is we hear this narrative of shop small and that maybe shopping at some of these larger stores, such as a Target, such as an H&M, a Kmart, a Walmart, whatever's around you, is not good. Where do you lie on that? Being from Arkansas, (laughs) I have, being in a town that only had a Walmart, I definitely understand that. And the U.S. is so dependent on cars, right? And driving from business to business to business, 30 minutes each is definitely going to be way worse for the environment than just getting your stuff at one single place. Uh, Obviously, if you have access to be able to shop small, do it. If you don't, then you don't, right? Work with what you have. And the fact is, is that overconsumption is really a major part of the problem. So if you're buying the pasta at Walmart and then you don't eat it for 10 years and then you throw it away, that's a problem. Right. If you're going and you're shopping and you're buying new clothing every single week from H&M and you're throwing it out, you only wear it once and then you're donating it, that's the problem. If you need a pair of shorts, and you buy one pair of shorts, you wear them for five years until they have holes in them, and then you repair them, you wear them for one more year, and then they just completely fall apart. And then you put them in textile recycling. Even if you bought those from H&M, you're not being a part of the overconsumption problem. Mm. So instead of saying, oh, I can't make the most ethical purchase, think about how I can make you know a better choice that's going to last for a very, very long time. And in fact, that's how I frame a lot of my purchases. I am tall and I am curvy. There's a 15 inch difference between my hips and my waist. Finding pants that fit, especially from an ethical brand, is pretty much impossible. They all gape. They give me like crazy crotch wrinkles. It is just, (laughs) it looks tragic. And I have needed a pair of shorts for four years. Mm. And this year I went to H&M actually, and I bought one pair of shorts. I wore them probably 45 times this summer. They're in great shape. I'm going to probably wear them all this summer. And I'm going to wear them and repair them and use them. And the fact is walking into H&M and buying one thing that I actually truly needed 
at the end of the day, is a sustainable choice. Right. It's As you mentioned, it's not getting caught up in that overconsumption, that hyperconsumption, the marketing gimmicks of buy one, get one 50% off. Well, you didn't need the second one. It's so funny you say that, though. I have a similar issue finding clothes that fit. I'm on the petite side. And a lot of sustainable brands have um, a limited size range. And I don't happen to fall into that. And if I'm willing to make that investment in that one, you know, let's say black dress that I just want to have in my closet, my staple for years to come, I get it. And then I have to take it to be tailored. And financially, Mm -hmm. I'm not in a position that I can do that. I'm right there with you. I mean, I don't trying to think the last time I bought clothing, the shirt I'm wearing now has got to be at least 10, 12 years old. I hang on. I'm, I'm like you. I wear yeah. it till there's nothing left to wear. Everything I'm wearing is over five years old right now, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, and, my, and my leggings, I think, are six or seven. Like, I was say, my leggings, I was a hyper consumer at one point of fashion in particular. And I was living in London at the time and I needed just some leggings and I went into Primark. I didn't know what Primark was at the time. I was not tuned into what fast fashion was or any of that. Go into Primark, find myself a pair of black leggings, buy one pair. I think they cost all of two pounds. Um, (laughs) Buy myself one pair and loved them. Put a small hole in it, though. Went back and bought three additional pairs at the time. I am wearing one of those pairs today. I still own all four, even the one with a hole in it, because it's not someplace that's inappropriate. Still wear all four pairs. And that was in 2010. So we're talking 13 years. And I don't feel bad about it. I still feel like a little bit of guilt. But yeah, as you said, I'm going to wear these until they fall apart. Right. But I think it shows there's a growth trajectory, right? And going back to what you're saying, it's those little steps of minimizing your impact and feeling good about it for yourself and for the planet, but not tackling it all at once. Let's talk about a little bit on what you mentioned when it comes to overconsumption, hyperconsumption. How do you break that mindset, especially because it has really become almost identity? Mm -hmm. When you were first getting into zero waste living, was that something you really had to work to undo? And and how did that thought process, how did it play out for you? I also was a hyper consumer of clothing. I did thrift a lot, but I still was a hyper consumer mm-hmm. and I loved, loved, loved clothing. So being in theater, one of my favorite things is costumes. I love costumes and I very much treated my wardrobe like a costume and it was who did I want to be for that day. And so I had tons of different styles of clothing to kind of go with each of these characters. And it was one of those things where I really started trying to figure out who I was. And instead of becoming a character, like, how can I just be Catherine? Mm. And what does that mean? And that's something that I still think about to this day that I still haven't perfected, but it's definitely much better. And one of the things that I started doing is I started saying, you can buy anything you want, but you have to wait 30 days. I did the same trick. It is shocking what you forget about after 30 days. It really is. That's exactly what I did because, yeah, you forget. And it allows you time to find creative solutions. Mm. And that's something that I actually think is so fun 
it's so fun to ask yourself, is there a different way to do this? Is there a different way than what I've learned? And I love finding creative solutions. And it allowed me to figure so many things out. I could borrow something from a friend. I could wind up using something I already had and it wound up working. I could style something in a new way. A great example is I almost bought this. I think it was a $200 Breville tea kettle mm. that like made tea. It was very fancy. I wanted it up in my office because I didn't want to walk to the kitchen every single time I wanted to get a cup of tea because I drink my cup of tea and I was just up and down, up and down, yeah. up and down. I couldn't focus. So I was like, oh, if I just had a tea kettle and I could have a full pot of tea that was ready to go that stayed warm, then I could just do that. And then I could get up every you know few hours instead Makes of every sense. 20 yeah. minutes. Right. And so I was like, okay, you can buy this absolutely ridiculous machine if you wait 30 days. And what I realized I could do is I had a giant thermos and I was like, oh, I'll just make it, <laughs> instead of making it by cup, I'll just make a whole pot, put it in the thermos. The thermos will keep it warm. And then I'll just pour the cup out for the whole thermos. Yeah. I had everything I needed right there. It was the most <laughs> simple solution. But because I had been taught that I needed to buy something for every problem I have. And the fact is that it's so instant to solve every minor inconvenience we have that we don't even think oh, I don't know, maybe I could just put my tea in a giant thermos. We don't give ourselves the time to be able to think through more creative solutions. And that's just a real missed opportunity. With two-day shipping and overnight shipping and same-day delivery, it's gotten worse. Yeah, because every minor inconvenience you have, you're just like, oh, I can solve that right now. Yeah. It's like, well, you could have solved that in 10 minutes if you looked around a bit more. That's a really good point. I don't know if where you are... Um, so we have Facebook groups, swap groups. Mm -hmm. Several years ago, I threw a party for my mother-in-law. She graduated with her doctorate. So we threw her party and I was looking for a champagne tub, I don't know, holder where you put the ice in mm -hmm. and the champagne in. And, you know, I, I did the same thing where I went online and I'm like, why, why on earth would I buy something that I might use twice in my life, maybe three times. And so I put it out on the community page. And sure enough, someone had one. And of course, they're probably only using it maybe twice a year. But, you know, now things circulate all the time, including puzzles. I was really big during COVID was the puzzle exchange swap. I love that. That's amazing. If someone is looking to get into that kind of swap lifestyle, is there any organization or website or community approach that you would suggest? I think you're right. I think they're pretty much all on Facebook, which I kind of hate, but <laughs> that's where they are. And I'm a member of my local buy nothing group, which is always fantastic. I highly recommend those to anyone. Mm. They're great. Now, what's the difference between a swap and a buy nothing group? I believe a swap group is it's something that you expect to get back often. Mm. And a buy nothing group is just kind of you have something and you're giving it away. But you can also reach out and say, oh, can I borrow? something. But a great way is also just to ask your friends and family because most of them are more than happy to let you borrow something, just bring it back in better condition than you got it. Yeah. You know, when we go camping, we have friends that go camping all the time and we go maybe I don't know, one time every two years. So, why do I need to own all this camping gear if I go camping yeah. every other year? I I don't. I don't need that. And so having friends that have these things and it's great just to be like, "Oh, hey, can I borrow that for the weekend? I'm going to go do this." And they'll be like, "Yeah, sure." It's great. So just don't be afraid of asking people to borrow things. If you're loving all this free content and thinking, how can I support the podcast? Well, one way is to support our sponsors like this one. 
I don't know about you, but I love smoothies, but I don't love smoothie bar prices. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or my favourite, even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. The battery lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via a USB-C cable. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. It has over 30 plus colours and patterns to choose from, which makes them an awesome present. Go to Blendjet2.com and grab yours today and be sure to use the promo code FERRIS12 to get 12% off and free two-day shipping. That's FERRIS, as in my last name, F for frog, E-R-R-I-S for sugar, 12. Whatever way you remember it, Ferris 12 into the website. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Plus, as a bonus, it's a great way to support the podcast. And if you can't remember Ferris 12, go to the show notes and click the link. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe. I think an unfortunate narrative that has taken place in the zero waste space. I have seen over the years zero waste commercialized and marketed. Mm -hmm. So uh, you need to buy beeswax wraps. You need to buy bamboo dish brushes and glass containers with the bamboo tops. And you need to buy your way into zero waste. Talk to me a little bit about that, like how you've seen that play out. Thoughts on it? Okay, so this is my quintessential favorite slash least favorite moment of this (laughs) era, which is, do you remember the metal ice cube tray craze? No, I know there's an ice cube craze on TikTok right now, but I think that's something different. That is something different. Um, No, there were metal ice cube trays, like the old vintage ones. Okay, yep. And except they also make new ones and they're these stainless steel ice cube trays and they're crazy expensive. And I just remember looking at that going, who didn't already have a plastic ice cube tray? Who doesn't already have a plastic ice cube tray? And are you throwing out your plastic ice cube tray to buy a metal ice cube tray? And I just couldn't wrap my brain around it because it doesn't even seem like an overly efficient way of making ice either. (laughs) I don't know. It just really blew my mind. And as someone who was approaching zero waste from a budget perspective, not the aesthetic perspective, that one was a hard sell for me. Yeah. And while I know that plastics obviously are endocrine disruptors, a lot of the endocrine disrupting happens in heat, not necessarily in forming ice. So I use more plastic in my freezer than I am likely to. And, you know, things like storing Mm. leftovers. I also don't really use a lot of ice. I'm not really a big ice person. So that's, that's also, (laughs) oh no, I really, I'm very anti, I'm pretty anti ice. Oh my God. In general. I am I'm an ice ice person like all year round. I don't know if you've ever seen the videos making fun of people from New England where you have ice Dunkin' Donuts coffee year round. It doesn't matter if it's a blizzard or negative 30, you have iced coffee. 
I think it's because being a singer, if you drink really cold water after you've like warmed up, it'll affect yeah. your vocal cords. And so I always just have always drink like room temperature water. I think that's why. You're, you have more control than I do. That's for sure. <laughs> How did this happen? Where it went from a movement that was trying to minimize impact to a movement that seemed corrupted by, well, it fell victim to the same marketing schemes. Yeah, it, it did. I will say that if you can find the areas in your life of things that you really truly do need or want to swap, you know, at Mm. least the one good thing is hopefully you should never have to buy that disposable product again. So there is some area and there is some level of swap, like, okay, I'm going to trade in my paper towels for reusable cloth dish towels, Right. right? Right. So I do think there is some, but the thing is, because there is some, then it just became really bloviated Mm. of just like, oh, well, here's everything. And it's like, well, before you get there, maybe you should make sure you actually need that thing. Yeah. You might not even need it. You know, I I don't need plastic wrap. So if I had bought something to replace it, it wouldn't have necessarily been worth it because I don't need it. Yeah, that was like the straw craze. I feel like when that came out, every company, whether they were a clothing company or a home goods company or whatever, you know, here's a aluminum straw and the paper straws save the turtles. Very good messaging. You know, we want to keep plastics out of the ocean. It did make me wonder how many people actually use straws. I don't use them. Right. I don't need one. How many people who bought a straw in 2018 are still using that straw? Yep. How many people? Probably not a lot. No. And now there's a, um, I know we're talking a lot about trends, but I just saw a post this morning that said TikTok's favorite water bottles now back in stock on Amazon. It's like a, this massive water bottle. Oh, and the Stanley Cup. I know. I know what yeah. you're talking about. So they're writing articles about this. So now people can go out and get their, you know, quick before it sells out on Amazon. I think how long before the next water bottle comes out? You know, it was this brand two years ago, then this brand a year ago, this brand now, and next year. Oh, yeah. We had the Hydro Flask craze back in like 2016. Yeah. We had the Swell Bottle craze. Now we've got the Stanley Cup drinking out of a water bottle that I just found off the side of the road. So that's cool. (laughs) I think I'm drinking out of, I mean, mine is peeling. It's, you know, but it works. It keeps my ice very cold. I will say that. (laughs) I 100% agree. Make swaps only when you need to buy something, not because it's a, a trend or you think you need to have it in order to portray this life of zero mm-hmm. waste living. It's another thing too, is it has taken on its own aesthetic. We've mm-hmm. seen this everything from home decor to your closet. And it sounds like you and I are very aligned on our closets where it's, we like color, we like pattern, we like fun. And so when the minimal capsule wardrobes came out, I'm looking at them and going, Okay, so one pair of black pants, one pair of, you know, jeans, one black shirt, one brown shirt, one white shirt. And I saw so many people buy into this, but I also saw them kind of lose their joy around their wardrobe. And it felt like this need in order to be accepted into this community, you needed to externalize that you belonged. Do you think there's a bit of conformity narrative happening there? Can I tell you about the worst aspect of Please. this personally yes okay do you remember the water only hair care yes oh the no no poo poo or something yeah mm-hmm. did you do it um yeah I did because once again I was like everyone's doing it they're like 
like, you can use just water. Anyone can use just water. So I like tried really hard. If it works for you, that's amazing. Yeah. Do it. Love that. Like, I love that. That's great. Um, but it, it doesn't necessarily work for everyone. And I worked, I was the only woman in my office, minus our bookkeeper, Bonnie, who came in every other week. And so at one point she pulled me aside and she was like, I don't know if you know, but the back of your head is so greasy. She said that. <laughs> it was so sweet. It was, I mean, and thank God she did. Because once again, I worked in an office full of people that was literally never saying yeah. anything to me. And I was new to the area. So it's not like I had a ton of friends who could be honest with me. Like, thank God for Bonnie. Bonnie probably Bonnie. spent time working up the nerve to say something to. Oh, I'm sure. I called her my California grandma. She is the sweetest person. I love her. Still, We still text. I love her. Love she saved me and my hair. And then I was like, maybe I should get some actual shampoo. So <laughs> thanks, I, Bonnie. We can attribute my clean hair to Bonnie. Thank you, oh, Bonnie. There, there are so many things like that that go around. Mine was the um, no deodorant. Like, so you have to <laughs> detox your body and then you can add a ethical or sustainable deodorant back in. And We've talked about this on Guilty Greenie and Sarah makes fun of me for this, but I am the first one to admit, like, I cannot go without deodorant. Thankfully, you know, it's during the summer, I was home working on the farm, there wasn't people coming and going and I wasn't really going out. So I tried this whole detox thing and how I am still married to this day, like how my husband chose to stay with me, I don't know, bless him. Um, but then after that, I'm like, okay, I... I need deodorant. It just is what it is. And so I started trying uh, natural deodorants. None of them worked. And I can't tell you how many brands I tried. And looking back on it, I'm thinking, one, you got caught up in a trend. Two, it's it's good to learn things about yourself. But three, how much deodorant was wasted for me trying out all these brands? Some were ordered online, some were in shops. And at the end of the day, I'm like, well, I got to use what works for me. I do want to stay married and not offend people when I go. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's the thing. It's like it works really well for some people and it doesn't work well. It worked really well for me, the yeah. detoxing natural deodorant swap. And I guess that's just the thing. It's, you know, it's crazy. We're all different. Who would have thought? <laughs> well, right. It's, it's not just bringing your individual knowledge to a conversation about trying to live with less of an impact, but it's also understanding that not everybody can approach it the same way, whether that's from access, financial privilege, time privilege, which is something we don't often talk about in the space. But it's also we are unique. So giving up deodorant is never going to happen for me unless I really don't want to have friends at a certain point in my life. You know, giving up washing your hair isn't going to work for you. And I do think there needs to be grace that we give to each other, acceptance that we're all different. We're not all going to have the same viewpoints. We can't approach it from the same direction. But as you said, it sounds corny, but individual efforts add up to make massive change. Well, we've gone over so much, but what are some of your takeaways? So we've talked kind of about the big picture and we've talked about maybe some stumbling blocks, some things individuals might come across. But for any, let's approach it from two perspectives. If there's someone who's new to the zero waste lifestyle, minimal impact lifestyle, what are some small things, uh, some small changes they can make? 
And then on the other side, if there's any individuals who have been in the space for quite a while and are looking for new additions that maybe they hadn't thought of, what are some suggestions? So I think I'm going to lump all these together into what I'm calling my 330. Okay. And this is, I think, great for people who've been in it for a long time, because honestly, I've been in it for a long time. What I'm looking to do is just simplify. I want to streamline. I want to simplify. I want this on autopilot. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And then if you're just starting out, then it's how can you get more actively involved? And so the first rule, 30 days, which we spoke about, right? Wait 30 days. You can buy anything you want. Just wait 30 days. Don't write it down. If you're still thinking about it 30 days later, and that's fine. The next one's a 30 minute rule, which is if you can walk or bike and you're Mm. capable, if you can walk or bike under 30 minutes, to where you need to go, opt for that instead of driving. Oh, I like that one. To reduce our dependence on fossil fuels. If you have easy access by a train or a bus, for instance, if it's under five hours by train or bus, I will also take the train or the bus rather than flying. Mm-hmm. Um, it's massively cut down on my flying footprint and really isn't that more inconvenient because if you think about it, you got to be at the airport two hours early. Even if it's only a one hour flight, yep. by the time you get off or get out, it's going to be about four hours. Like. Your absolute minimum time flying is four hours. And then also you include the transportation to getting there, you know. So it's going to take about the same amount of time. Take the train, take the bus. And then my last one is every 30 days or every month, set aside 30 minutes that you write to your legislators or that Mm -hmm. you write to a business or that you put in work to your community. How can you be actively involved outside of yourself? So committing 30 minutes to being a you know, a better citizen to your community and trying to create action just outside of yourself. Because if we only focus internally on ourselves, not only does that put way too much pressure on us because then we think we have to be perfect, it also kind of ignores the bigger picture because it doesn't necessarily create better access for more people to be able to achieve these things in an easier way. Yeah. Community is incredibly important. And coming up in season two, we talk a bit about how important community and local politics is and that a lot of climate policy is actually made at the local level, not the federal level. So yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good point about writing, but don't also feel like you have to write to your senator or your Congress. You can write to your state Senate or your city council. So I actually served my city in California. I was on an advisory committee. There are so many committees and the best thing to do, because let me tell you, you you know how many people came to one of our advisory committee meetings? Probably none. In the three years I served? Two. I'm going two. In three years, one person. So if you want to see something change in your city, you want to see styrofoam ban right? You want a styrofoam bam. You don't want anyone selling more any more styrofoam cups. Go to one of these. And if you go to the wrong ones, they'll tell you where to go. Yeah. They'll, they'll help you out. You can go there and say, Hey, like I've seen a lot of styrofoam cups littered. I don't really like that. I think that we shouldn't have styrofoam cups like all these other cities. Yep. Let's do something about it. And they'll say, okay, great. They'll vote on it. And then they can basically help create a bill to present to the city council and the city council can vote on it. And if that doesn't work, you know, then you can also get signatures and you can have it added as a referendum on the ballot. There's so many ways that can get involved, but it just takes, you know, kind of looking at things from a new angle. How can you ask a new question? How can you meet a new person? And that can be fun. It can be really scary, but also it could be really rewarding and really fun. And also if that is too much for some people, like that, if that is just really out of your comfort zone, there are also so many groups and organizations and They have people who have been doing that for years. Maybe it's your local 350 group or Sierra Club. 
and you can join them. And they who have, once again, like they have been doing that for years. So you can just add your voice to that. And also it's a great way to meet like-minded people, which I think is really nice because, you know, it's kind of hard making friends as an adult. So you can join a club and a group where you can do something productive as well as meet people who have common interests. Yeah. I love those tips. I think those are really good for anybody who wants to go to Catherine's blog, her page, because it is incredible. She has fantastic guides. I think you have a 31 day guide to help get people started. I know you put out so much content. It's incredibly invaluable to the community, people who've been in the space, new to the space. It is goingzerowaste.com. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Your insights are, as always, invaluable. Thank you. It's been really lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Join us next episode as we share our own guilt, share our own journeys, and just add some levity in our attempts and fails to be more eco-friendly, but in the real world. Guilty Greenie is an independently produced podcast, and to help show your support, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcast, or just share the episode with family, friends, or strangers. We don't mind who it is. And to get the climate conversation flowing. Until next time, stay curiously green. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who've overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. It is from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover, and how to be brave. Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.